0: Good evening. Good evening. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, you alone make strong and you alone make holy. So we pray, look on us in our weakness and give us the strength that you alone can give. Look on us in our doubts and give us the certainty that you alone can give. You give us strength, you give us certainty as we listen to the promises of your holy word and when we see the marvelous things that you have done for us already. So strengthen and keep us day by day as we live in difficult times and troubling times. Strengthen and keep us always, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay. We are in John chapter 12. And remember, I was always giving you the time frame. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, probably January of 30 assuming that Jesus suffering and death is in the year 30. So John jumps ahead about a month or a month and a half and now it's April. And in John 12 verse 12 he says the next day and then he proceeds to tell us about Palm Sunday. So uh, we know Uh, the time frame. We know when it is. Uh, Long ago I talked about uh, the four Gospels and their relationship to each other. Remember that? You want a review? I'll give you a review. That Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they look together. That's what synoptic means. Like synod means walking together. Uh, Optic you go to your optician to get your glasses or get your eyes checked. Synoptic means they look together. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, seem to be looking at the the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus all from about the same angle. There are some differences Mark is shorter, so Mark is more basic, and Mark talks more about what Jesus does. Matthew talks more about what Jesus teaches, and then Luke, uh, the theme of his gospel seems to be, how did these things happen? But there are some passages where I could read from Matthew, you could probably follow along in Luke. Almost word for word. John isn't like that. John has things in his gospel that are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are a few things in John that are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John tells things. I'm not going to say he tells them differently. I will say he tells them maybe with a different emphasis. And so... John has the feeding of the 5,000 and the other three Gospels have the feeding of the 5,000. But then John goes on to talk about the crowd wanting free lunch and continuing to follow Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't go there. Um, And what we have tonight in John chapter 12 is Jesus anointed at Bethany and then Palm Sunday and we're going to look at this and compare it with Matthew and we're going to see what does John have in common so it shows us definitely it's talking about the same event but we're also going to ask how does John tell us this differently? What does he add that the others don't? Uh, Quite a few years ago, I took a class on Mark, and it was taught by Pastor Wendland's brother, Paul Wendland, at the seminary. And I had my section of the Gospel of Mark that I was going to present in class, and I had done this parallel column thing with Matthew, and he said, for our purposes, why don't we just let Mark be Mark? And see what Mark tells us all by himself without any comparison. And that's a good thing to do as we're doing Let John Be John. Read the Gospel of John and and see his who is Jesus emphasis throughout. Uh, So we're going to do that, but then we're going to compare it with Matthew. And we're going to ask, what does John tell us that Matthew doesn't? Uh, so, uh, looking at oh, my screensaver kicked. It. Okay, looking at John chapter twelve. Uh, this is Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And this is Saturday before Palm Sunday. We know that because at the end it says the next day people started gathering uh, with palm branches and Jesus rides in. So this is the day before Palm Sunday. So John 12 Six days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, who had died, the one Jesus raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about twelve ounces of very expensive pure perfume, pure nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was going to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He did not say this because he cared for the poor but because he was a thief. He held the money box and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She intended to keep this for the day of my burial. Indeed, the poor you always have with you, but you are not always going to have me." A large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too, because it was on account of him that many of the Jews were leaving them and believing in Jesus. Okay, any any familiar things from the last couple chapters? Especially the last chapter. chapter 11 we had the raising of Lazarus and uh, Jesus in Bethany. Uh, So Jesus is back in Bethany and they're giving a dinner and Martha is serving. Does that sound familiar to us? Okay, only this time she's not going to nag Mary to come and help. Hopefully she's got, this is not a a spur-of-the-moment thing, time to plan, time to get help. Uh, So uh, it talks about Mary taking 12 ounces of expensive perfume, pure nard, and somebody gave me, this little bottle of spikenard oil. So if you want to sniff it and see what it smells like, you can see what nard smells like. It's kind of sweet. There's a little bit of funk to it. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a, a sweet uh, scent. Some perfumes were, were made from resins or drippings from plants and that seems to be what, what spikenard was. Uh, something that John tells us that the other Gospels note is that she had a bottle that was about 12 ounces. So that's easy to picture. Think of a beer bottle. About 12 ounces. And so, if you think that is strong, think of a beer bottle full of that stuff. <laughs> pour it over his feet, pour it on his head. And uh, Judas says this would have sold for 300 denarii. Uh, a denarius was a coin worth about a day's wages. Uh, I remember there's another parable of Jesus about the king who forgives a debt to somebody and then that person had a debtor who owed him a hundred denarii. And I've often said that would end up being well a hundred days wages if you figure it out it comes to be if you're making sixty dollars a day uh, it comes out to be six thousand dollars. So six, twelve, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars for a twelve-ounce bottle of expensive perfume. Why was it so expensive? It was one of those things that grew, the, the plant that was made from only grew in one place, and that was in India near the Himalayas is where spike nard is from. So it only grows in one place, so you got that making it expensive. And then what was transportation like in those days? Got an ox cart or the back of a camel, uh, and then coming, oh over a thousand miles, maybe 1,500 miles, uh, you have the risk of breakage. You've got this packed up in 12-ounce bottles. I think you may have even had the experience. You order something from a catalog or you order something from Amazon and then you get it and it comes broken. And you have to send it back. Uh, Well, imagine an ox cart or the back of a camel. I bet a lot of 12-ounce bottles of nard got broken. And that was one really sweet-smelling camel. Uh, So that's why it was so expensive. But now think of Mary's motivation in pouring out $20,000 on Jesus in the course of a few minutes. Why would she want to do that? What had Jesus done for her back in January? Everybody's so shy and He wet. was her friend, in <laughs> close friend. They were close friends, and what had Jesus done with her brother? And raised him from the dead. Yeah. And last time we talked about what did that mean? <clears throat> Pretty much gave her her future back. Uh, because of the culture of the time, uh, she would have had to get married really quick, or Beg, go on welfare. Well, and, the, yeah, and that wasn't that wasn't a thing. That wasn't a thing back then. Uh, so by giving her her brother back, uh, he basically gave her her future back. So she takes the most precious thing that she has and pours it all over Jesus. Uh, I guess I'm so a little confused. As, is this the same Mary? that from the other visit, that she was sitting and listening to Jesus while Martha was busy. Is that the same Mary? Yes it is. Because it's connected to Bethany, right? Now there's there's Bethany, something Bethany. goofy. Yeah, there's something goofy. Uh, some, For me, sometimes research is a pleasure. And I enjoy looking things up. <clears throat> And then some, today I I ran into something and I thought, you call this scholarship? This is, this guy's pulling stuff out of his ear. Um, There was a book published not long ago where the author says, asks, is this the same, is Mary of Bethany the same as Mary Magdalene? And... This book said yes, but gave no justification for it. Uh, I say no, because in the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions Mary Magdalene later. But here, constantly talks about Mary connected with Martha and with Lazarus. And John always likes these aside phrases the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. Even though it's the next chapter, he mentions Lazarus and then mentions again the one Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, When we get to Good Friday in the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene is at the foot of the cross. Mary Magdalene is there at the tomb Easter morning, Uh, but no mention of Mary of Bethany. And so if he makes these connections to Mary of Bethany here, is he gonna change her name or change her hometown when he mentions her again? No. Is Mary Magdalene the same as Mary of Bethany? No. There were plenty of Marys. Uh, Another thing too is that uh, Matthew tells us this is at the house of Simon the leper Uh, There was a Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, and Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. And there Simon the Pharisee says to himself, if Jesus was a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and what kind of life she led, and he wouldn't let her anoint him or touch him. Uh, And then Jesus says, uh, teaches a lesson about forgiveness with a parable. A money lender had two debtors, one had a bigger debt, one had a smaller debt, and he forgave them both. which one will love the money lender more? And Simon said, The one who had the bigger debt cancelled, and Jesus says that's right, and this is why this sinful woman is pouring out everything that she has on me because she knows how much she's been forgiven and so she expresses her love much. But that's earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Mm. And this is the day before Palm Sunday. A Similar event but a different one. We have the same thing with uh, Jesus heals the royal official's son in Capernaum, and Jesus heals the centurion's servant in Capernaum. And that when you look at him closely, you see there's enough differences. These are two different events. Uh, And so Jesus at the house of Simon the Pharisee, with the sinful woman anointing him, uh, the only thing in common with this is it's in the house of somebody named Simon and there's a woman anointing Jesus, but John makes the connection to Palm Sunday later so we know this has to be a separate account. Also when Jesus is with Simon the Pharisee there is no there are no disciples saying why this waste this month this should have been sold and the money given to the poor that's in uh, that's in Matthew and Mark and John. It's not in Luke. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was one thing that made me scratch my head and say, this is scholarship. This guy just automatically connects Mary Magdalene with Mary of Bethany. And it doesn't quite add up you got to be kind of like Sherlock Holmes and you say what Mm -hmm. what things are common here and that's why I've got this thing with the colors on on the page is okay both of these talk about Bethany both of these talk about a jar of expensive perfume uh... John tells us how much uh... somebody says why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor. John tells us it was Judas who said it. Uh, Jesus says in John, leave her alone. In Matthew, he says, why are you causing her trouble? Uh, In both, Jesus says, you always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. And in both, Jesus says, she was saving this for the day of my burial. Uh, And so these are two accounts of the same event. Uh, Something that Matthew adds. Matthew tells this story out of order. Uh, Matthew puts it kind of after the events of Monday and Tuesday of Holy Week. But he's doing this to to say, this is Judas' motivation. That after this event, Judas went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand Jesus over to you? So we we can see it was at this point where Judas says, we could have sold this and given the money to the poor. And then Jesus rebukes Lazarus, rebukes Judas. And Judas then gets the idea, being a disciple of Jesus isn't going to be profitable to me anymore. Because he knows I've been stealing from the money box. So I need another source of income. Chief Priests, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? Uh, uh, Something I noted in verses 7 and 8, when Jesus says, leave her alone, she has set this aside for the day of my burial. Here we see that that Mary of Bethany knew something or understood something that the disciples were trying very hard not to understand. About four times in the preceding months, Jesus told his disciples again and again, now we are going up to Jerusalem. Now I am going to be handed over and killed, and on the third day I will rise. And you have to do a, I'll have to do a closer study, but when you compare Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it looks like Jesus said this about four times. One time Peter said, Lord, don't talk this way. These things should never happen to you. The disciples were trying very hard not to understand Mary of Bethany was thinking about and had her bottle of expensive perfume uh, so in uh, <coughs> verses 9 to 11 did I read 9 to 11 earlier yeah. okay uh, what effect did that uh, raising of Lazarus have on people? People heard it. And many believed. And people believed because of it. Uh, people heard they wanted to come see. Oh, what's a guy like that look like? Dead four days and then brought back. it would have been weird curiosity too. Uh, but many came to see, many believed. And then uh, I'm having trouble scrolling here. Uh, what effect did it have on the chief priests? They didn't like it. Yeah. Because the, they, were loose, they were losing their followers. <laughs> yeah. And verse 10. Lazarus is attracting people to Jesus, so we not only have to kill Jesus, we have to kill Lazarus, too. Uh, Remember that theme of hardening the heart. Uh, Unbelief in the face of the truth. Just like the king of Egypt, you can see the plague, you can see the signs and wonders, you fight against it anyway. Uh, there's going to be more of that at the end of this chapter, more of an explanation of hardening of the heart. Uh, uh, Now, now we have Palm Sunday. And John starts out by saying the next day. So that tells us this anointing happened on Saturday, on the Saturday before Palm Sunday. Uh, John, verse 12. The next day the large crowd that had come for the festival, remember if Passover is coming up, Uh, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Taking palm branches, they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand these things, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, and that they did these things for him. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, kept telling what they had seen. This is another reason a crowd met him. They heard he had done this miraculous sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So, John's theme in his whole gospel, or our theme question as we study John is, Who is Jesus? And right up front, right away in his account of Palm Sunday, John records for us what the the Palm Sunday crowd was shouting. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel, who is Jesus. One who comes in the name of the Lord, the true King of Israel. Uh, Matthew, remember Matthew's writing for Jewish people. And so Matthew is going to emphasize fulfillment of scripture. So Matthew spends quite a bit of time about the donkey and how they got the donkey. And then as it is written, see your king comes to you riding on a donkey. Uh, not a contradiction, but a different emphasis. Uh, So, uh, something that we see with John often is uh, how the disciples are often kind of clueless. And sometimes John says, then they remembered. Uh, After Jesus was raised, then they remembered. In John chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple. And uh, later they remembered, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it when he had risen from the dead. Then they remembered. And so... that phrase. Then they remembered. That's something that we see elsewhere in John. Uh, Verse 17, John goes back to Lazarus. Remember, John likes to go back and treat things that he had talked about before. As kind of, they call it a spiral. He talks about one thing, talks about another, and then comes back uh well now he's back to Lazarus and the crowds who came to see Lazarus and then we see the anger of the Pharisees again Um, I know I've talked about this before with this class uh, but uh, well let's see how much you remember without looking at the sheet what kind of a messiah were the people expecting. Somebody to save them from the Roman government. Yeah. Yeah, so a savior from the Romans. And what were some things that were part of that expectation? Remember I told you about some intertestamental stuff? It was about 200 years earlier. There was a Greek, I suppose you could call him a king, Antiochus, ruling over Syria, ruling over Judea. And he defiled the temple. And then this family of priests rose up with some resistance. Antiochus sends his army to surround the city. Then all of a sudden, Antiochus dies. And the Maccabee family rededicates the temple. That's the origin of December holiday, Hanukkah. Uh, And so uh, thinking of Passover and the origin story of the nation, thinking of the Feast of Tabernacles, how that was connected to the origin story of the nation. We lived in tents. So that's why we live in huts uh, for these weeks. And then uh, Hanukkah, not an origin story, but a very patriotic one. Uh, It's like they had the the 4th of July three times a year. Uh, And uh, all reminders, this is who we are as a nation, how we got here as a nation, And so now they're thinking of a Messiah. Okay, a deliverer like the Maccabees were. They drove out the Greeks. We need somebody to drive out the Romans. There were also some fanciful things that rabbis were teaching at that time. Uh, They were saying things like this. When the Messiah comes, Uh, Every grape vine will have a thousand branches. And every branch will have a thousand clusters of grapes. And each cluster of grapes will give a thousand gallons of wine. And it will be... Sounds almost like a campaign promise. Uh, but, But the rabbis were teaching that kind of thing about the age of the Messiah. And so, think back to the feeding of the 5,000 and what were people's expectations. Another free lunch. Free lunch, free lunch is for everybody. And then Jesus says, you don't need a free lunch, you need me. I am the bread of life. Uh, well, the whole thing about the, the Messiah is going to give us free lunches, There's something behind that. That was the teaching of the the rabbis, about what the Messiah would be like. Combine that with the political ideas at the time, uh, and also the memory of the Maccabees from 200 years earlier. Uh, Something uh, that maybe you didn't know, Uh, the palm branch, was one of the symbols of the Maccabees. So waving palm branches, that meant something, didn't it? And you think that might have gotten the Romans' attention a little bit. Uh, And so when uh, the charges are brought against Jesus, Uh, In the Jewish court, the the charge is blasphemy. But then in the Roman court, they know Pilate doesn't care about blasphemy. He's probably blasphemed the God of Israel himself and probably would not care. Uh, But um, uh, before Pilate, The charge, the accusation, is about claiming to be a king. And we'll get into that in the chapters that are coming. But Palm Sunday kind of fits in with that, doesn't it? He comes in as a king. People are waving the Maccabees symbol of the palm branch. And... Uh, they could tell Pilate, yeah, remember on Sunday, the crowd was was doing this. And and then, are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. Uh, That was really at the heart of the false teaching of the rabbis as they taught about The Messiah and expectations of the Messiah. With uh, each great vine will have a thousand branches and whatnot. Uh, What kind of blessing are they thinking of? Very earthly blessing. Earthly prosperity. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, you see some things that talk about heavenly blessings in earthly ways Uh, but at the same time the emphasis on the promises of the Messiah are always on the spiritual. Uh, Genesis 3, the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. And then Isaiah, uh, the punishment that brings us peace was upon him. Uh, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Uh, A savior who bears the sin of the nation and the sin of the world. That's what the Old Testament prophesied. Uh, and some of the rabbis were confused by that, and they decided there must be two messiahs. There's the triumphant king, and then there's the suffering servant. And with New Testament hindsight, we see they're one and the same in Jesus. Uh, But uh, the earthly glory, that was something, well, that, That was something that continued, and there are even some Christians who uh, teach a a thousand-year kingdom of Christ. uh, People who knock on your door who say you can live forever in paradise on earth. Do you ever have those people? Or their pamphlets Uh, and. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, So, uh, all of that, uh, think of Palm Sunday and the thoughts of earthly glory, the thoughts of Jesus being a worldly king. Think of all of that, and now we go to the, the... later part of John chapter 12. Jesus talks about glory, but what does he talk about in the same breath as glory? Let's look at it. Starting at verse 20. Uh, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew came with Philip and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It continues to be one kernel but if it dies it produces much grain anyone who loves his life destroys it and the one who hates his life in this world will hold on to it for eternal life if anyone serves me let him follow me and where i am there my servant will be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is the reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The voice came from heaven. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. So some Greeks come to Philip. This reminds me of John chapter 1 with the calling of the first disciples. With Philip gets Nathaniel, uh, Andrew gets Peter. Some Greeks come to, to Philip. Philip talks to Andrew. Philip and Andrew talk to Jesus. Uh, then verse 23. Palm Sunday was, was a, seems to be about glory. Bless, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus talks about glory and what does he talk about right after he says things about glory? Death. Yeah, death. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If a seed remains a seed, it remains one. If a seed ceases to be a seed and is planted, it produces many. Uh, So, Jesus connects his death with glory? Uh, those are really opposite thoughts, aren't they? Reminds me of we often talk about as the theology of the cross, that we like the glory part. Uh, we like success we like prosperity, how does God do His work? Sometimes through hardship. How does God shape us into what He wants us to be? Sometimes with a hard lesson. And how did God make us His own? With the suffering and death of His own Son. So if God does His most important work that way, How can we expect success and happiness and everything else all the time? Uh, Jesus suffered greatly. And Jesus tells us, what does Jesus tell us about those who follow him and those who serve him? They'll have eternal life. Yeah. And... uh, whoever, and this is, remember we have a few places that are parallels between Matthew, Mark, and Luke carrying on to John. Uh, This is a place where it's a parallel thought. Matthew has it in another place. Um, Yeah, Matthew has it in chapter 16 when he's talking about whoever Uh, wants to follow me, must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will find it. And Jesus repeats that here in John. Uh, Whoever loves his life destroys it. Whoever, oh remember, what was that? Schlitz malt liquor. Go for the gusto. Take everything out of life you can. Anyone who loves his life will lose it. Uh, Anyone who loses his life or who hates his life in this world will hold on to it for eternal life. Uh, Peter says the same thing when he says, uh, live your lives as strangers in this world. Don't feel too at home in the world. Um, uh, Verse 26, Jesus says, Where I am, my servant will be also. Uh, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And here we have another who is Jesus moment. Now my soul is troubled. We saw that before, didn't we? Last week, and it was it was kind of yeah, when he heard that uh, Lazarus had died. When he had died, and then when he said, "Where have you laid him?" Yeah, and they take Jesus to a tomb, a cave tomb, with a stone rolled in front of it, and then. It says Jesus was, again, deeply moved and troubled. And the way John describes the tomb, I can kind of get the subtlety. Jesus is thinking in a couple months that will be me in the tomb. And so now Jesus says, the hour has come for me to be glorified. And my soul is troubled, but shall I say, Father, save me from this? No, this is why I came. You've got to be very, very careful when you talk about this, because it, is Jesus apprehensive? No, he knows he has to go forward. Is Jesus fearful? No, because he knows how it's going to all turn out. Is, does Jesus think it's a picnic going through all of this? No, his soul is troubled says, oh, that's going to be tough, but I'm going to do it. Uh, standing at the grave of Lazarus and then knowing that lies ahead for him. Uh, yeah, his soul is troubled. Uh, yeah, some I've read some commentaries, heard some devotions on it, where people use terms like apprehensive, afraid, and it's like that's not there. It does say troubled uh, and sometimes maybe we have that feeling too that we're, we see something big ahead and we know we have to do it. Uh, maybe we're not fearful because we know we've maybe done something like that before. Uh, Maybe we're not fearful because we know in faith we'll get through it. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's any less troubling. Yeah. I think it's probably because that's the part of him that's true man yeah. that was troubled. Yeah. But then because thankfully he's also true God, he knows he'll be able to carry it through, yeah, through and, the Father's help. Yeah, and isn't that... Something strange and wonderful about Jesus at the same time. Yeah, something we can never... We can... We, and maybe, uh, with, with this, we can see both. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And he's troubled about it. And that he, he doesn't put himself into pigeonholes or flip the switch to, to, to God and then switch flip the switch to, to human. That he's both at the same time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And he still is. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Yeah. So. Uh, no. So um, just like at Jesus' baptism at the trans- and at the transfiguration where the Father's voice says, this is my beloved Son, you hear the Father's voice again. Uh, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. I have glorified my name and will glorify it again. Uh, probably meaning, in everything you've been doing, Jesus, you've been hallowing my name. And in everything that you're about to do, you will hallow it again. Uh, So the crowd standing there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel talked to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for my sake, not for my sake, but for yours. That reminds me of Jesus' prayer before Lazarus' tomb. And he says, Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me, but I say this for the sake of those around me basically meaning, so they know I'm not just doing this on my own, this is God's plan at work. And uh, God himself says, this is my plan at work. Uh, Now we have Member John Cycles and how he goes back to themes that he's talked about before. John takes us back to chapter 3, not necessarily to verse 16, but back to chapter 3. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be thrown out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. What... Reminds you of John 3. Remember the conversation with Nicodemus. Just as Moses. Lifted up the stake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so here Jesus says this again. And back when I, I talked about the Son of Man will be lifted up. Yes, talking about crucifixion, but also like the snake in the desert, Moses was saying, this is what you should look at to be saved. And so Jesus says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Kind of like the snake in the desert. This is what you look at to be saved. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. This is another who who is Jesus moment. Fully divine. He knows everything that lies ahead of him. Uh, And then we got the crowd being contrary again. The crowd answered him, we have heard from the scriptures that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Uh, Then Jesus told them, the light will be with you just a little while longer. Remember, I am the light of the world. Uh, Keep on walking while you have the light so that darkness does not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Uh, Remember the discussion of light and darkness. Darkness means what? Or is a metaphor for what? Darkness, sin, death unbelief, uh, the unknown, uh, stumbling around in the darkness, you can't find your way, and then the light means everything opposite. Everything good. You can see the way God turns on the light. Uh, Jesus spoke these words and then went away and was hidden from them. We've seen that before. Jesus has a dispute with the Pharisees and then retreats. But now it's Holy Week. And he knows he can't go far. Uh, Even though Jesus had done so many miraculous signs in their presence, they still did not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's the beginning of that section in Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, for this reason they could not believe, because I, Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so they would not see with their eyes or understand with their heart or turn, and I would heal them. Uh, Remember in Exodus, with the account of the plagues, there's kind of a transition point that for the first few plagues it says then Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go and then later there's a transition and there God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And what that's talking about is that the the resistance to the display of the truth or the display of God's power, the resistance was of such a kind that whatever God put in front of him, God knows he's going to harden his heart against it. Uh, it's not so much a matter of his, that person's will anymore. They've just kind of gotten into the pattern of rejecting so whatever I put in front of them, they'll harden their heart against it. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus, four days dead. If he keeps doing stuff like this, everybody will believe in him. we got to stop him. Maybe we have to kill Lazarus too. That's the extent of their unbelief, that they can see the truth and uh, the acts of power and still go against. it, Uh, And so that's what this passage from Isaiah is about. It's explaining that hardening of heart. There is another term that's similar to this. not in the Gospel of John, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, another term called uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls the unforgivable sin. And Jesus talked about that, and I can't give you a book, chapter, and verse, I think it's in Matthew. Uh, Jesus had just driven out a demon, and his enemies said, it's by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he drives out demons. And then Jesus says, watch out. This is the sin against the Holy Spirit. If you call the work of God something evil, uh, then you're calling the Holy Spirit and his work something evil. And so, The sin against the Holy Spirit and hardening of heart and what's going on here, that's all the same thing. So the person who worries and thinks, have I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin? If you worry about it, you haven't done it. The person who has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit Wouldn't care. Uh, Did the king of Egypt worry uh, that he was rejecting the truth of God? No, he didn't. He thought he was a god himself. Who is this god that I should obey him? That's my favorite scene in that movie. Yul Brynner in his chariot throwing spears at the pillar of fire. Yeah, dumb, stupid. It's right there in front of you. You can say the same thing with this. Jesus raises Lazarus. He feeds thousands. A voice thunders from heaven. And they still plot against him. And then a couple chapters down, In Gethsemane, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, and they all fall down. And then he lets them get up and he goes with them. He displays his power, they still fight against him. Stupid, dumb, unbelief to the nth degree. Nevertheless, even many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from people more than praise from God. Think of Nicodemus coming at night uh, to talk to Jesus, uh, keeping it secret, but still asking. Uh, Then Jesus called out, the one who believes in me does not believe in me only, but in him who sent me. There's that theme repeated. The one who sees me, sees him who sent me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I have come into the world as a light so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not hold on to them. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That reminds us of John 3, doesn't it? The Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words does have a judge. The word which I spoke is what will judge him on the last day, because I have not spoken on my own, But the Father himself who sent me has given me a command regarding what I am to say and what I am to speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. So the things I speak are exactly what the Father told me to speak. That's chapter 12. And so we see Jesus Facing death and calling it glory. Because he knows what he's going to do with it. Take the sins of the world. So, a lot of things, I think also, that are flash-forwards to, maybe a little foreshadowing to, my kingdom is not of this world, coming up in John 18. All right, a lot of things tonight, maybe not, I was kind of thinking it was kind of jumbled because last week we had all of Lazarus, John 11, all about Lazarus, John 10, all about the Good Shepherd, and here it's Jesus anointed, uh, Palm Sunday, and then this part that seems to be mostly about hardening the heart. Uh, so next week, we pick it up with John 13 with uh, on into Monday and Tuesday of Holy Week and then Thursday. Okay, any questions on what we talked about tonight? On what I talked about tonight. you've been a quiet bunch tonight? <laughs> Let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world, and you lead us in your way of light. So help us to remember the darkness of the world. When we see trouble in this world, help us not to be surprised, but to see the world as it is, and also to see you as you are the light of the world, that we walk with you. We don't walk in darkness, but we have the light of life. So enlighten us in these dark times. Amen.